Hey there, welcome to the Product Hive Podcast. On this episode, we're bringing you the presentation from our October product event, where you'll hear from Trevor Riley. Trevor is the Senior Vice President of Product, Leasing, and Marketing Suites at Entrada. Why does managing and prioritizing a roadmap often feel like having too many mouths to feed and not enough food to offer? The executive team sets their priorities, strategic customers lay out their needs, services teams escalate requests, and all the while your own discovery efforts are pulling you down different paths altogether. Who gets to eat and who goes hungry? Is that even the right way of thinking about the problem? Trevor will discuss best practices and techniques for achieving alignment and roadmap clarity in dynamic, fast-paced organizations. A big thanks to Lucid for hosting this meetup. So now, let's hear Trevor's talk, Roadmap Prioritization. We want to dive in. We're going to talk about uh, roadmap prioritization. We're going to give you a little bit of an introduction to Entrada for those of you who aren't familiar with Entrada. One word of warning, I, I really love GIFs, so my presentation probably has too many GIFs. To be fair, Travis knows me and he knew that was probably going to be a possibility. If you're overwhelmed by the number of gifts, that's definitely his fault uh, for inviting me to do this. But yeah, we're just, we're happy to be here. My name is Brett and I'm pretty much on stage for one and only one purpose today. That's to be Trevor's wingman. He can't do these things by himself. That's true. I'm the introvert. Brett's the extra. So we've both been in Trotta for a long time and I, I don't know what you all know about Entrada. So we get to take just a couple of minutes just to give you some context about who we are, what we do. Probably the number one thing when I get, get a chance to meet somebody and tell my work in Entrada that they say is, oh, you guys have the bus, right? Yeah. Not only do we have a bus, we actually have two buses and it's a thing. We love them. If you ever came to work here, you'd have to stand in front of the bus and get your picture taken. So that's a thing. Another thing about Entrada, maybe some of y'all know, we once threw the world's largest dodgeball game. Anybody heard of this? Was it like, I'm going to throw this up for, I don't know, a second here and see if this even works. Will this play? Some of these folks were probably in middle school when we threw this, Brad. Do, Alex, do you have to click it on that side? If you click it, just do me a favor. Just go like 25 seconds in. We don't need to see the full intro. But yeah, we have 3,000 people down in Provo. Uh, at the world's largest dodgeball game, uh, only the only thing was a bummer was that against world records would not recognize us having had the client. But it turns out it was because people that were in the game were actually like feeding after they got hit. And I guess Guinness wanted us to like have an official game that was officiated. We can go ahead and skip past this here. Okay. Another thing you just might know us by, we're a little bit proud of this last bit, but yeah, we had a pretty big announcement just earlier this year. After 18 years of business, of being a bootstrapped company, we had a pretty big raise. I'll just tell you a little bit about the folks in the picture here. Far right is Dave Bateman, who is Entrada's founder and uh, CEO until he stepped down late last year. Dave brought in Adam Edmonds in the middle. And Adam joined us in November of last year and in you know about six months, just helped us raise a cool $500 million. So naturally we had a party with about 500 million pieces of confetti. Oh, here we go back. So yeah, we had a, a little bit of an event earlier this year and it was pretty exciting to be a part of. Now, just a little bit about us and what we do. 
the main thing we just want to be able to provide context for before we start talking about roadmap prioritization and, and product strategy here at Entrada, just to know what we do. And in a nutshell, we build property management software for the multifamily housing industry. Okay, that's a fancy way of saying the apartment space. So one way to think about us is just picture an apartment building. What Entrada does is we have a, a, a core property management software that helps our, our clients run all of their leasing and rents and et cetera. And then from that base platform, we, we're basically vertically integrated anything they might need. So I'll give you some ideas of some of the, the areas that we operate. And we'll support all of their online marketing and, and other marketing needs to help drive traffic to their, their, their communities. We'll support all their leasing needs to help them get people converted from lead to lease, support all of the resident interaction needs, such as rent payment, maintenance, and so forth. So you get the idea, whether it's helping our clients manage their utilities, give them uh, insights in their portfolio performance, and ultimately helping them try to uh, drive their businesses more effectively. That's what we do. Adam, our CEO, since coming on board, has really emphasized uh, a, a value I think we've always held closely here at Entrada, but we are customer obsessed. And I think a lot of us probably would agree and, and feel likewise within our businesses. But in particular, I put emphasis on that we want to be able to drive intentional outcomes for our customers. And the last thing I'll tell you just about our product organization, which Trevor and I are some of the leadership team, is that we want to create solutions with purpose, right? With intent. We don't want to just funnel a bunch of feed, feature requests and input from customers and just go build like robots. We, we really want to be able to accomplish three things. And we want to deliver unexpected convenience. We're deliberate in the use of that word. We don't want to just meet the status quo. We want to delight our customers. We want to enable smarter decisions that you know, are specific to our customer base and help how they operate their properties. And last but not least, we want to make sure that we can actually prove, demonstrate, drive measurable results and impact. So that's a quick overview of what we do. Sets the stage for some of the insights that Trevor's going to share with us. All right. So I got a question. Does your job as a product manager ever feel like this? I told you this is going to be pretty gift heavy, right? I'm looking out, watching your faces. Does your job ever feel like this? I'm seeing some heads nod. I'm seeing some of you, blood is draining from your face as the PTSD sets in. Realizing that your entire job and profession has been boiled down to a single two-second animation. Brett described an environment we have at Entrada that's very dynamic. There are a lot of moving pieces, a lot of strategic customers that we work with, a lot of cross-product initiatives and efforts. So when it comes to this concept of roadmap prioritization, we feel extreme empathy for any of the challenges that any product managers feel in this regard. And for each of you, those different birdies might look a little different. It might be strategic customer needs, might be cross-product requests, might be technical debt. And then even outside of this, there could be those things that you are discovering that you're really passionate about wanting to do, but that's like the runt that's not even in this picture that's dying off of the side of the frame. This is a really challenging environment to be in. And we want to talk a little bit about how Entrada thinks about approaching this problem and understanding this problem and how we're trying to get better at making really smart decisions around prioritization. So what's the answer? Simple, you just score it, right? Like we just have to have a great scoring model and we'll be able to uh, easily come to alignment across all stakeholders over what should be prioritized. And then we just go and execute. Some of you are smiling. 
and not buying it, right? <laughs> there are a lot of good st scoring models out there, though. Do we have any fans of the the Cano model? Anyone uses it? A couple heads are nodding. Sometimes, okay. What about the rice model? Anyone use the rice model here? I got a hand in the back. Okay. What about Moscow? Anyone use Moscow? Anyone heard of Moscow? A few more hands are raised. We've got some teams at Entrada that like using Moscow and, and do it pretty successfully. All of these models are, you know, essentially cost benefit analysis. And there's nothing wrong with having a, a scoring model and implementing it into the process for prioritizing our roadmap. But I think we want to suggest that if we just go straight to this step, we're probably missing something really fundamental if we're seeing and experiencing that challenge that comes with having so many different voices competing for priorities on our roadmaps. Because even with the scoring models in place, I don't know about you, but it still feels like this sometimes. And this homeboy ain't gonna get anything done, right? This is not gonna produce anything effective. So what's missing? What I think Brett and I want to talk a little bit about and then circle back to this concept of roadmap prioritization is if we're in this environment, um, we like to start at Entrada by talking about strategery, right? So this is the element that we think is most important in trying to understand the root problem of experiencing this roadmap strain and having so many competing priorities that we're trying to organize around. And part of that, I think what we want to do is give you a little bit of insight into how the Entrada product team approaches the, this idea of creating product strategy and then where that fits in our process for actually uh, coming up with roadmap prioritization. And to help create some abstract around this concept, I've boiled it down to four key components that we can think of as like a product strategy pyramid. And even though we have lots of different products, different product teams, different product suites that have applied these components in a little bit different ways because of the needs of their products, these four elements we try to make sure exist across all the different products and product strategies that we're putting together that we really need to start with before we even think of roadmap prioritization. And I've talked to a lot of folks with doing interviews and, and meeting and networking a lot of a product managers. And I, I think this is an area that sometimes doesn't get enough attention. And we tend to jump straight to what's, what should we be doing? How do we prioritize the work that's in front of us? And maybe not spend enough time taking that step back and really thinking about, have we developed a product strategy that can really unify all of our stakeholders and give us really clear vision going forward. So what are these four elements? First of all, we have to create a vision and that can look like a lot of different things and it can be documented in a lot of different ways. But really what we wanna do is define the core problems that we're trying to solve. We at Entrada are big fans of jobs theory and competing against luck, the book by Clayton Christensen. And that has really informed how we think about defining problems and defining opportunities to be able to solve those problems. But we really have to start with that vision and that understanding of why are we doing this? Why does this product exist? What are we actually in business to accomplish? And sometimes in my experience, it seems like that's a really obvious question with a really obvious answer. But when you start to, to, to talk about it and question it out loud, it doesn't always come out to be as obvious as you might think. 
Second thing we want to do and what we try to do and we're, we're generating these product strategies is to organize that vision in a way that's really easy to consume. And this could be by thinking about strategic pillars, areas of focus, key areas of functionality. There's different ways to think about how to organize it. But one of the benefits of organizing your vision is the ability to create some boundaries for yourself. Defining what your strategy is trying to accomplish is as important as creating a boundary for what your product isn't going to be and what problems your, your product isn't going to solve. And having that layer of organization can help you create those boundaries so that there can be really clear. Next thing we want to do is connect this to value. And for us, we think it's really important that when, when we're thinking about value, everything connects down to what is the customer and the user getting out of this product at the end of the day? And a lot of us have probably heard and gone through exercises of doing value propositions. We like to deconstruct those propositions into very succinct statements of value. And those value statements become the North Star for exactly what it is we're trying to accomplish. And we want them to be very outcome-based. We want them to describe exactly what it is that our customers are going to achieve value-wise from us delivering this solution and shipping new features out to them on a regular basis. Uh, and that also can be really challenging. I think those who are here from Entrada know that we've gone through this exercise a lot of times. We've iterated a lot of different times on it. And every time we sit down and want to reconstruct these value statements for a product, it takes a lot of time and effort to really think through how do we want to create value and how do we want to describe and articulate that value? We also need to make sure that value and that, that uh, connects back to the company or um, objectives as well. And we'll talk about that in a second. And then finally, we've got to measure success in our products. The last piece of this strategy pyramid for us is not just defining these statements of value, but defining the way in which we're going to measure the delivery of that value which can also be really challenging depending on how abstract those statements are. But having very clear defined KPIs or what we like to call product performance metrics is really critical to the way that we think about not just success for products, but success for product management at Entrada. We have to know, are we actually delivering value the way we've described it? And we need to be able to measure that over time and have that tie back to things like our roadmap and the prioritization of the items in the roadmap. So how does this look? What we want to do is give you a couple of examples, practical examples of how we've applied these ideas to some very specific product strategies that exist across the Entrada platform today to kind of give you a taste of how we approach this. So I'm going to start by talking about a, a little bit of a newer product that we have introduced um, to the market in the last year and a half. We call it Market Strategy Hub. And it's an evolution of a number of smaller products that we have offered on the marketing suite over the course of the last decade. But these smaller products were not being utilized and they were not being taken advantage of the way we wanted them to. We weren't creating the, the value that we thought we could with the way we had positioned these individual small products. So we took a step back a couple of years ago and went on an, an intense journey to do a bunch of discovery, talked to a lot of customers. And this process of creating the vision really started by defining what are, these, what are the core problems that exist today that we're not really uh, aware of or not doing enough to, to tackle as a business on the marketing side. And so we came up with three very distinct 
but core problems through that discovery process that kind of led us to an eye-opening moment where we realized that there was a huge opportunity for us to think about not just repackaging our small products, but bringing something really new and fresh to the table that was going to solve these problems potentially that no one else had been even trying to solve before then. And we talked to a lot of customers. You can see it, as we started documenting our vision, we included a lot of quotes from a lot of the users and marketing directors who were involved in needing these problems solved. We crafted a vision, we wrote it out, we rewrote it out, we put it and documented it in, and I've simplified it here for you. And we also did a lot of analysis on the market itself to try to understand what does the market opportunity look like? What, how large is the market? And what, is our, what are our assumptions around the willingness of the market to adopt an ability for us to solve these very specific problems? And how would it look compared to the existing product offerings that we have today? And we had a lot of data in this case based off of those existing smaller products to be able to go back and help us understand what are our customers choosing to use today and how are they using those small products to solve some of the problems that we wanted to touch on. So the next step, organize, right? We went through a process of um, really trying to define what marketing strategy hub is and what it isn't. And we came up with this visual diagram and this visual has saved us in so many of the conversations we've had with our engineering partners, our design partners, even the executive team. Because in this one visual, I can lay out very clearly to anyone that wants to understand what it is, a, a way for them to catch that vision really quickly and understand that this hub consists of three main components. And there's a, a central analytics tool that's gonna allow them to do their lead source management and have analytics around spend management. But then around that, we're gonna be having all these connectors to different lead generation tools that we've already built uh, in our system over the course of the last decade. From there, we have to define those, like I said, succinct statements of value. We call them value statements at Entrada. And this is a difficult exercise. And every time we go through it, we want to re-examine and, and make revisions to it. But this is an example of what some of those statements might look like and what they do look like in the case of this product. I mean, we try to be very specific, maximizing lead generation opportunities with lowest cost. Like there's a very specific driver there for us to be able to reduce the amount of spend that our customers are having to spend today in their marketing campaigns without sacrificing the quality and number of leads they need to hit all of their leasing goals that they have on site. But we don't want to just stop here at the value statements, right? We want to be able to figure out how do we measure each of these statements. So that last piece, that measure piece, is where we will go through and actually add uh, very specific metrics that we've associated to each one of these statements. Those metrics, like I said, are critical because every time we sit down now with all of this in place and start to talk about and think about what do our prioritizations need to be for the coming quarter, for the coming year, for the next eight quarters? We have this guiding document and framework for making sure that everything that we do aligns to moving the needle on these very core metrics that we've defined for the product. And it absolutely has created a lot of clarity for us to be able to say no to some really good things that don't align with these core value drivers that we've identified and agreed to as a strategy team. This has been a, a really great tool for our teams to use. I might jump in 
and just take a couple extra minutes to share uh, a lens from, from my side of the house. So I work very specifically in helping our clients with their utility management, okay? Does anybody else in this room do anything with working with the utilities out of curiosity? Oh man, Santosh, are you still in the room? He abandoned me. I, I think I should probably just leave the stage right now. I can't, I can see you guys are not lighting up as we talk about electricity, but for our customer base, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna share really briefly how we've used the same pattern that, and same framework that, that Trevor described to think about how we provide values for our customers. Okay, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna summarize fast. The problem for our customers is pretty simple. Uh, if you've ever worked with utility companies, they're awful. They're so hard to work with. And I, I, I wish I had thought ahead of time to put up a script, uh, an image of a utility bill, but I'm gonna tell you the name of this company, no joke. This, there's a utility company out there. It's called American Bottoms. It does sewer. And when they send you a bill in the mail, cause you can't get it online. It's literally, anybody know what a dot matrix printer is? Those old school like forms where it's, it's like printed. And I wish I thought to actually put it in here cause you guys could have seen it. When they put their dollars and cents that you owe them, there's pre-printed on the form they use like a dotted line and the dollars are supposed to be on one side of that dotted line. The cents are supposed to be on the other side of that dotted line. Can you get the visual? Our clients, property managers hate dealing with utility companies. So the problem we're trying to solve in this particular space, the, the thing I get excited about every day is we just want to be their interface to the utility companies. We want to manage all their utility bills. We want to process them, get them to the customers so the customers can pay them uh, on time, keep those lights on, avoid any problems with them. And then we want to go a little deeper, right? We want to get to the point where we can help our customers actually now start to analyze this utility data. This is where the real work comes in, right? The stuff we really get excited about. Analyze that utility data and find opportunities for them to create savings. And that's what we're trying to do. So we know the problem. We've organized ourselves in a very similar way to that Trevor described. We, we essentially uh, took our, our problems down to, I think if I'm in the right order here, let me, let me see here. Let me, I'm going to skip this slide and come back in a second. So we took our problems and, 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 and boiled it down to three distinct value statements. This is the elevator pitch, if you will, right? If, we're, if our sales team's out engaged with a, a product management company, they don't really want to talk about utilities either, unfortunately. Nobody wants to talk about utilities. But we come and say, we're going to help you maximize recapture of utility expense from your residents. They get excited about that. We say we're going to help you create NOI by our increase NOI by creating utility cost savings. They get a little more excited about that. And then we say, we're also going to just going to completely take the burden of working with utility companies off of your plate. And, you know, then they're actually like perked up. They actually talked to us for a little bit. But the key thing is for our strategy to, to succeed, much like Trevor talked about, we have to know that what we've, what we're striving to solve as a, from a product lens, it can be measured and demonstrated, right? So I get, uh, uh, I'm known as saying all the time that a value statement has to be clear, measurable, and demonstrable. And so much like Trevor showed, we've defined metrics. We train our customers on what these metrics mean. And these become the lens by which our customers actually measure the success, whether we're meeting those jobs. What we're talking about though, in summary, I'll back up to the slide I skipped here. I don't think he showed up. Some of you probably know Steve Arntz from Campfire. Oh, Steve, he's in the back. I can apologize to you actually in person, Steve, because I'm about to butcher your strategic brilliance. But I like the way Steve looks at this. So we boil strategy down into basically two, two buckets, experience and growth. And when we're talking about experience here, you can see the slide. We're really talking about the customer's experience with the 
product. That's my lens of my oversimplification of Steve's brilliance. So we're talking about product market fit. We all focus on, on, on trying to build the right product market fit. I love the rule of 40. If you're familiar with that, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, look it up. Our customer is going to view your product as essential. Would they be upset if your product was removed from their lives? And, and in Trata, again, we focus a lot on value creation. Now, all these things Trevor talked about, we need to understand our customers. We need to understand the jobs that they need to get done. In my mind, uh, value proposition design boils down very simply to understanding the job and then realizing there's either an opportunity to create gain or relieve pain, right? Relieve pain, that's easy. That's the customer feedback. Everybody can explain pain that they're experiencing and ask you to solve it. Creating gain is where that delighting level comes in. Those are the things that people don't tell you about in the interview, but that you see by knowing what they're actually trying to accomplish, observing their behavior, realizing that there's friction in the process and you can find ways to eliminate that friction. Growth, we all have bosses, I assume. Even if you own your business, you got some investors probably. So you got bosses. And I put some real examples of company growth goals in Trotta. We have a goal to grow 30% revenue in, in this coming year. In my world, I put a second example within our utility services suite. We have some new utility services that we've abbreviated as UEO. They relate to utility expense optimization that we're trying to bring to market. So we've set a very specific goal to gain 10 referenceable customers for all of the new UEO services by the, by uh, year end 2022. And then the third one's an example. I mean, this might be you, right? You may be at a point where you, your goal is to gain 10 new customers, hit 40,000 in MRR before the end of the year, right? Strategy is the bridge between the experience that we're trying to create with our products and the goals, uh, growth objectives that our businesses need to hit. But it doesn't work very well if we haven't achieved that strong product market fit. We cannot demonstrate and prove to our customers that we're creating the value and the outcomes that we want to achieve if we try to scale that. We've done that a few times here at Entrada, uh, done it in reverse order. And if you've done it in reverse order, it's not good. So anyway, that's what I wanted to add to, to the discussion here today. And as it relates to roadmap prioritization, I'm 100% in line with Trevor and the conviction as I, I expect a lot of us are here that if you don't know, yeah, the combination of these outcomes that you're trying to produce, the experience you're trying to produce for your customers and only your customers. We, we don't know the companies you guys even work for um, and who your customers are, but you need to know that. You need to know what experience you're trying to create. And of course, we've got growth goals as an organization. That has to govern the roadmap. The biggest thing I probably worry about at Entrada is that we can get so caught up, like we get so myopically focused on that two-week sprint cycle, and we feel really good about ourselves. At Entrada, we release like 1,500 tasks, like features into our platform, like every two months for our customer base. And we can sometimes pat ourselves on the back and say, we're like super innovative. Like we, we crush this. But I worry that we just iterate in circles and we're actually meaningfully moving boldly with clarity and with that purpose that we talked about at the beginning to the outcomes that we want to generate for our customers. And, and if you can you know, take anything away from this discussion that you can see how you can apply it to your own business. It, it's hopefully that it, it, it's this idea that by having that clear strategy, understanding the outcomes that you're trying to, you're trying to drive toward, don't let anything come into that roadmap. That is not, you can't draw a direct line to the customer, the product experience you're trying to create or those corporate goals, those company goals that you need to achieve. So I'm gonna give it back to you, Trevor.
All right. So yeah, let's, uh, let's tie this up a little here. Hopefully, hopefully no one here is feeling gypped that they thought they were coming about to hear this robust discussion around roadmap prioritization and end up being a discussion about product strategy. But as Brett and I were talking about this and thinking about what's a symptom and what's a problem and what in our experience has been the combination of both, it really became evident that so much of the symptoms that we feel with the pain around roadmap prioritization just always come back to this idea of product strategy. And I, I will tell you that even having a great product strategy is not a silver bullet to make it necessarily really easy to get into the actual prioritization of a roadmap. There is a separate conversation to be had there. And there is a place, a good place for utilizing frameworks and tools and scoring models. But we really, we wanted to start at what we felt was typically the root problem that a lot of us uh, face. And so just in summary, you think about what are the major building blocks that go into everything we do as product managers? Well, I like to think of the roadmap as the what. It defines what we're doing. And then the backlog becomes the how, where we really partner with engineering and they provide a lot of the input on how we're going to uh, build what we want to do. But if we only are focused in these two areas, you know, I think it is likely we're going to end up in that scenario with those baby chicks, all hungry, all starving, all want food. And we only have a limited amount of food to offer. And it seems like we're always making someone unhappy. And while, again, I don't think there's a silver bullet solution to relieving that pain entirely, the thing that's missing from this diagram is, of course, the strategy piece. And to me, the strategy is really about the why and the who, and it incorporates so much that we can't cover in 30 minutes. I touched a little bit on it. Brett touched on it. There's so many different topics that we could dive in much more deeply. But having that component there, having it documented, having it thought through, going through that process, establishing a framework, really, in my experience, can make a big difference in being able to get to that second phase, the what, and feeling a lot more confident and a lot more aligned as a team around going through that process of prioritizing and being confident that you're doing the right things in the right order to achieve that vision and achieve that strategy that you've laid out. Thank you guys. We want to open it up for some Q&A right now. I think we've got plenty of time. If there are questions, let's, uh, let's hear them. I've got the mic. So feel free to read. We could just, hands. excellent. You mentioned that uh, you have moments where your value statements have to be discussed and thoroughly debated. And when are appropriate times to go into those conversations, debates, negotiations on value statements? And where do you, because we, I feel like in product management, we spend a lot of time in that area. And where do you keep things moving and, and avoid redefine the strategy every day? Yeah, that, that's a great question. If you're revisiting it every single week, it can create this feeling of thrashing, which we don't want. So. One of the things we've tried to institute at Entrada is, a, is an idea of having an annual vision meeting. And those vision meetings are the highest order meetings that we do a year where we actually take the time in preparation and even during that meeting to open up those types of discussions and allow ourselves to reevaluate where we're at with those products, with those value statements, the product performance metrics, to do a retrospective for the entire year and just to reset, make sure we're on the same page. The goal for us coming out of that annual vision meeting is to be locked in and committed at least for the next year around the definition of those statements and the definition of those metrics. Ideally, they don't have, they, they shouldn't change all that often. Certainly there are factors in which 
landscapes, environments can change and we have to pivot and adjust. But these, the vision, the, the value statements, the product performance metrics, this is long-term, right? This is your North Star. This is not your six-month roadmap. This is where you want to be driving value for the years to come. And yeah, I think there's a balance between not doing it too often, but giving yourself some opportunity to reevaluate. So would you add to that? Yeah, just one thought, Tyler. If, first of all, I'm with Trevor, no more than annually, in my opinion, because if those value statements are properly rooted in real problems, I'm going to borrow from Steve again, actually. We all actually want to be engaged, hopefully, in, in trying to solve pervasive and enduring problems. I think Jeff Bezos is referring to these as like first principles. The, the things that we're trying to solve for people they're not really going to change. They're, they're, they're just, they're, they're enduring problems. The way we try to solve them, that will evolve. The world's going to change. Trevor had an opportunity this past year with the pandemic to, to spearhead a cross-functional initiative here at Entrada to introduce self-guided tours. So the idea that somebody who wanted to see an apartment, the traditional way was you had to schedule an appointment with a leasing agent. It was, there was a lot of friction in this process. This guy right here knocked it out of the park and helped lead a team that pivoted to a real world need. But the, the fundamental problem there was still the same. Our, our clients need to lease apartments and usually people don't want to lease them if they can see them first. So I hope that's a good example. How long should this annual vision meeting last or how long does it last typically? It depends. If you're in it with me, it's eight hours each day for three weeks. Yeah, it, it does depend. I don't think uh, it needs to last more than a couple hours unless you're Brett Weber. A lot of it, I think a lot of it goes in, depends on the preparation that you put into the vision meeting. And, and everything that you have on the agenda. But obviously no one likes sitting in a three, four hour meeting. So it doesn't matter how good your content is. You're going to lose people if you don't make it nice and concise. Trevor thinks faster than me. First off, good framework. But my question is really, in your experience, has this framework remedied things like sales comes and says, hey, we're going to, we need this to land this specific deal. It's going to land X dollars. Or yeah, but I like the phrasing strategic customer needs. Hey, client or a contract says, Hey, we got to do this because the customer's pissed off and you got to get it done. Is it more that you go, Hey, that's great. Let's plug it in and then come and tell them, Hey, this doesn't really fit. Sorry. Or is it more, how do you, how, basically my question again, has this framework remedied that in any way? Do you want me to take this one? There's a deeper meaning to your question, isn't there? How do we deal with salespeople? <laughs> Oh, they're helpless. I know. Yeah. They'll just promise everything. Right? No, in truth, that's not what they do, but it's so hard in reality to manage customer expectations, right? So a sales team member might come in and talk about what the platform can do and hear needs and put on their, their product manager hat and, and show that empathy to the customer. But even a lot of times our salespeople actually set the customer straight, try to do their best to manage that expectation. But by the time the sale's done and it's moved to new hands for implementation, those expectations have gone wild again. But what I found to your point, to your question, that's been really useful with this framework is those value statements, well-crafted are sales statements in a way, right? And you're able to return to those in full sincerity, integrity, that like you're focused and committed to trying to solve those problems. And it actually creates a great way to say no. We, a lot of us spend time in meetings, I'm sure, talking to each other about how we say no. And we all say, it's really easy. You just say no. But in practice, we can't because the sales guy keeps pinging you, right? Like over and over. And then they sell it. And then your boss says, oh, you got to do it. And you can still use the same framework in my experience to tell your boss, this is what we're focused and committed on. This is the root of the, the type of value that we want to create for customers. And it, in my experience, has proved to be very effective to, to mitigate that. Can't get rid of it. Yeah. The, the one thing I would add to that is that when we're going through the process of developing these strategies, 
we have to remember and consider our strategic customers that the, they have to be a part of that thought process. They have to be part of thinking about coming up with these value statements. We want alignment there. Ideally, the things we want to do to be solving problems for our customers align with the problems our most strategic customers have. So that's one thing I would say is if there is a big misalignment between what you think you ought to be doing and what your strategic customers are asking you to be doing, you need to start talking through that with your strategy teams and figure out why does that misalignment exist and how, we, how can we bring that together? That's been helpful for us in a number of occasions where we've realized like we don't need to have this chasm between what we want to do and what our strategic customers want to do. We can bridge this and we can think of how to be approaching things in ways that maybe satisfy both worlds. There's still going to be challenges there. Some strategic customers have business models that are totally unique and they need things done that are unique to them and aren't going to necessarily create a lot of value for your other customers. That becomes an organizational level decision. And that's something that you would have to make sure you're aligned with your executive team and, and understanding that part of the company's overall goals has to do with making sure that these strategic customers are taken care of. And that's just something we have to accept. We have a question from online. How do you effectively communicate and align teams around priorities? And also Annika says hi. What was the last part of that question? How do you effectively communicate and align teams around priorities? Yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to jump on, on that. I think it relates to the questions about how frequently here at Entrada, we like to think about these value statements. The pattern that we like to follow is that on at least an annual basis, we think a little bit more deeply. Do we need any course correction on these core problems we're trying to solve? Uh, and then from there, we think really in terms of quarterly roadmaps, right? We practice the OKR model of setting an objective and key results for the quarter. But setting those objectives and key results, if you have, I like what Trevor called it, that North Star. If you know those core problems that you are focused on solving, setting the objectives for a given quarter becomes a lot easier, right? Because you just need to say, okay, we're at point A. Where can we be? What does point B look like at, by the end of the quarter relative to that problem we're trying to solve? And to the question of priorities, to me, that becomes really easy to align the team around those priorities. Some insights though, I think you do start to realize when the team can't align around those core problems and then those quarterly objectives that you're setting, it actually probably is an indicator, much Trevor was just talking about, that what you're trying to solve, what you've been prioritizing is misaligned with like your customer, right? That's the only thing I would I'd share on that. But otherwise, that's how we handle priorities here in Entrada. And we were able to align pretty effectively along those, that, that framework. Well said. Got time for two more questions. I do, but... It's not up to me. See, I love you. I want to double click on both the last two questions about the relationship with sales. And I think even in how you talked about remedying that, it still seems like an adversarial relationship of how are you dealing with this inbound from sales and sales on the other end. When I talk to my friends in those organizations, they look at least product marketing and they go, those guys are useless for whatever reason. So how do you think differently about how to form that relationship foundationally in a collaborative way. And an example that comes to mind for me is a previous speaker here, Divi's SVP of product. I forget his name does not ring a bell now. Tyler, Tyler Hogue, there you go, who for him, part of the change he brought there was seeing to it that he will have product managers as part of closing that deal on sales calls sometimes or in implementation as well. So how do you think about rebuilding fundamentally what that relationship is between those two very critical functions for what they do instead of being adversarial. What's your name, by the way? My name is Sia 
Molly with love. Do you have eight hours after this? Yeah, of course. Okay, let's meet up. Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. One of the one of the challenges we also feel the first instinct is well, we want to empower the sales team to be excited about what we're doing and the direction that we're heading. And so we can achieve that alignment. But we also all probably know the risk of exposing too much of our roadmaps to the sales team and having them try to start selling a future state instead of a current state. And we've felt that challenge here at Entrada as well. So I think one of the things that we try to do is get them as excited as we can about what we currently have available today and be their partners in helping them solve problems that they're seeing their prospects have using the current platform and the current solutions. Now we're large enough as an organization that we also have a sales engineering group, which is separate from our outside sales team. And they are the ones that are responsible for doing the demos and getting into the technical weeds as our customers are going through the evaluation process. And we have a very close relationship with that sales engineering team. We have to be glued at the hip because they're doing those demos. And for us, it's a, there's value in both making sure that they are showing the system the way we want it to be shown, but also they're getting a lot of feedback in real time from prospective buyers of the system that they can send right back to us. And it becomes a really fruitful source of discovery, but constant, like having the open communication and getting them excited about the, the current state of the suite and empowering them to know that there are a lot of different problems that are, are capable of being solved in a lot of different ways today with today's product is the thing that I think we try to focus on as much as we can. And that, that's a, it's a real challenge though, that you bring up. I see that in a lot of cases. All right. We have time for one last question. All the way in the front here. He's Travis is on it. He's coming. So I realize, uh, you might not be at this point in your company as much, but as Entrada's grown, I'm sure you've had to check the boxes of what an industry software needs to manage leasing and all of this stuff. Uh, maybe you still deal with it. What, what's been your insight to planning a roadmap when you know that you need to check boxes that, well, we have these customers that will not sign up if we don't have accounting. So we have to do it. Even though we have this really cool idea to do leasing virtually, we just have to do this accounting. We have to get it done. What's been your approach and balance to getting that into the roadmap, but still being forward thinking in your software? Tell me your name, by the way. Eric. You want to come hang out with me and see ya? Sure. We'll get drinks at the end of the eight hours because we'll just commiserate together. Yeah, it's like, there goes your roadmap, right? Yeah. So in our space, because you nailed it, right, with that question, because our customer, like our, our industry, for the, I should start this way. There's not hundreds of thousands of potential property, man, you know, professional property management companies out there. There's actually a really small list. And so we only have a certain number of customers to, to, to trade on, if you will. And these large, like enterprise level, you know, property management companies that have, you know, 50,000 units across 13 states come in and literally will give us a requirements list of 585 items. And then we end up in these strategic planning meetings and we've got a spreadsheet of all of our company priorities. And then we've got that one customer like consolidated down to one row on this, on the spreadsheet out of the 60 priorities, but we know like secretly it's 587 rows. So it is a real challenge uh, for sure. <clears throat> but the only thing I can say of that is, is we get a lot of, of collaboration with our executive leadership team to basically handle that. We, it is a real challenge. I don't know that we've ever figured out the exact right way to handle that because to a T, the example we just shared is, is, is what happens. One of the things that we have been pivoting to 
recently is to install a, like a project management layer that sits within product so that somebody can come in and play the capacity of helping take those, that specific customer's needs and not have to like actually control the individual backlogs because those items are going to fall across 30 different development teams and product teams. So that's a thing that we're doing recently to try to experiment with that, but we live with that every day. It just takes a lot of collaboration with our executive team who can then champion things back down to sales and to our customer success leaders to help manage those expectations for the given customer. Yeah, we uh, build an accounting platform. Do you guys know what the tolerance is for accountants for change? Like zero. And how many ways there are that they're going to accept being able to go through the workflows they need to? But one, there's like one way to do it and you have to provide that exact workflow. Otherwise, they don't want anything to do with you. So that, that kind of that challenge of there are these boxes we have to check is something we do face. And for us, because we have such a large platform, I think it does vary from product to product. We have certain products that we might be, that might, might have requirements that are more embedded because of the nature of the accounting world. We have other products that are newer and are still in the life cycle, in the phase of the life cycle that's requiring us to check off some fundamental boxes. But then we have other products that are in that more mature stage of the life cycle, where if we aren't thinking of ways to innovate and be driving value in some exciting ways, we run the risk of becoming stagnant. So I think it does also depend a little bit on where the product is, but there's really no way of getting around having to check some boxes. There are, I think, opportunities to be creative about how those boxes are being checked and think about what is the entire experience um, that's happening here we know we have to check this box, but how do we do it in a way that's going to delight our customers by understanding that problem so well and so deeply that they didn't even recognize there were opportunities for innovation. And they may even be subtle opportunities for innovation because again, that box has to be checked, but it adds up to an experience that's hopefully really delightful for our customers. And I think that's about it. So thank you guys. Thanks for Thanks coming. A big thanks to Trevor Riley for presenting, and again to Lucid for hosting the event. If you learned some things from Trevor's talk, be sure to share it with your team, or share it on Twitter, and mention us at product underscore hive. Sharing these talks is a great way to support Product Hive. As always, be sure to check out all our upcoming events. You can find them by searching for Product Hive on meetup.com. And while you're there, go ahead and join the group so you always get the latest updates. We also have a YouTube channel where you can find videos of all the past talks. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon, and we'll see you at one of our next events.